Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 352 with Emma Cates One. I think you'll dig this chat as you'll learn one, the four key practices for becoming more conscious, two, tips for becoming ever more secure in your identity, and three, six ways to counter your fear responses. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F352. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our cool stuff. One cool thing I'd point you to is the gold nugget email list. So if you find yourself wishing you could take notes, but your hands are tied up, you're running, you're driving well, we take those notes for you and send them right to your email inbox. And that is the gold nuggets over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here's Emma Kate's story. Emma Kate Swan is the Vice President of Leadership and Transformation at Healthy Companies International, working alongside a team to both support and lead key client engagements. A part of her mission is to bring about positive, healthy outcomes Emma Kate coaches executives on optimizing their performance, helps organizations navigate through change, and guides executive teams in building more productive relationships. She's also actively involved in the design and implementation of leadership development programs at all levels within client organizations. Big thanks to Emma Kate for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Emma Kate. Emma Kate, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Absolutely, Pete. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to dig into a, a lot of your wisdom, but first I want to go into your your past because mm-hmm. I understand that you, when you were 13-ish, appeared on television dancing to Michael Jackson's Thriller. What's the story behind this story? <laughs> yes, I, that's true. Yes. Uh, well, growing up, who didn't like Michael Jackson, right? So I, uh, I used to study his video clips and learned his Thriller dance step by step. And then I had the opportunity at 13 years old to perform this dance in a group on a children's TV show. So it was a, definitely a great thrill at a young age. Now, so how did you end up connecting with this TV show? How, how did that come to pass? Yeah, well, I was in a, uh, a jazz ballet group and we decided to do Michael Jackson's Thriller and we had to study the video clip. And then our teacher also helped us with some of the steps and we won in a Stedford. So it was just sort of a competition uh, that we, you know, were um, involved in and then got invited to go on this television show as the entertainment between cartoons. It was a children's TV show. So that's how it came about. Do you recall which cartoons you were in between? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I cannot. Hardball Wait, here at Awesome Your Job. <laughs> I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't think I could recall the the cartoons I watched as a kid, other than uh, Nickelodeon had a good lineup with uh, Doug, Rugrats, and... Well, maybe I can't remember that. Ren and Stimpy was a crazy one. That was that was wild. Like I don't even know if you could get away with some of the stuff that I they know, did on that right? show today. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, so well, let's talk now about perhaps uh, your your current income and impact and career that you're making. It's not through through dance and and Michael Jackson no, performances. You've got a cool title as the Vice President of Leadership and Transformation at Healthy Companies International. I love transformation. Uh, Tell us, what's your role and this organization all about? 
healthy companies, we refer to ourselves as a leadership and change and transformation company, and our mission is to transform the world's organizations one leader at a time. So, uh, we're actually founded back in 1988 by our CEO, who's an organizational psychologist and my co-author on our current book, Conscious, Bob Rosen. And we have a, a very focused, sorry, we have a, a specific view about leadership. And our view is that as the world around us is accelerating and becoming more disruptive, that we need to develop ourselves from the inside out in order to show up differently on the outside. And we refer to this at Healthy Companies as grounded and conscious leadership. So our focus on leadership was really set early on when the company was awarded a multi-year grant from the MacArthur Foundation to research the characteristics of successful executives and their companies. And this led to more than 500 interviews with CEOs in 50 countries. And then Bob and Healthy Companies and myself then published the results from our executive coaching and our consulting work as well as the interviews in eight books. So we apply these approaches to grounded and conscious leadership within really three key areas. One is executive coaching. I know, Pete, that you're an executive coach yourself, executive consulting and leadership development and workshops. Mm-hmm. You did, now, did you say eight books? Yes, yes. So <laughs> loads of insight. You need eight books for them. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Well, could you give us a tidbit in terms of maybe one of the most striking, powerful, counterintuitive insights that emerged from, from all that research? Well, often we focus on competencies or skills in a lot of leadership development, you know, and companies are spending millions and millions of dollars on leadership development. However, our research found that actually the most effective leaders focus on what we call as the six dimensions of leadership health, and that is their physical health, their emotional health, their social health, vocational, spiritual, and intellectual health. And this is really what I mentioned in terms of operating from the inside out. And interestingly, one of the key strongest predictors of effectiveness of those six healths would be, what would you say, if you had to guess, of those six? Oh, boy. I can make (laughs) a case for all of them, but since I just moved to heavy file cabinet, I'm thinking about my physical health. Let's go with that one. Yeah, and actually each of those independently predicted higher levels of performance, but the one that actually we were really surprised about that had the strongest predictor of performance was actually spiritual health. Now, spiritual health can often mean religion. It's not what we meant in our research. We actually define spiritual health as the way you view your world and coming from a spirit of generosity and and things like having a higher purpose um, and also being globally connected, so respecting different cultures and different points of view. And that particular dimension of spiritual health and the way I just defined it had the strongest relationship with effectiveness and also engagement. So that was a a bit of a surprise for us and and actually opened up a new conversation um, with leaders and, and individual contributors in the way that they operate within the workplace. As you say that, it makes real sense to me in terms of generosity, because Mm -hmm. as, as you sort of generously invest, you know, your time and your, your, your network, your knowledge, your energy, your attention, sort of whatever you have to offer into people. Sure enough, they, they remember it. They appreciate it and they are are all the more likely to respond to you with, with subsequent requests and and provide, you know, discretionary effort and Mm -hmm. creative ideas and all that good stuff. Yes. And Pete, there is some data to support what you've just said. Burson and Associates found that companies known for their strong expressions of appreciation are 12 times more likely to show better results than companies who show less gratitude with their people. 
Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's talk a little bit about your latest now. The book's called Conscious. And what's your main point behind this one? Yeah, absolutely. So we recently conducted a Harris poll actually with 2,000 working adults over 18 years of age to understand how Americans view leaders and their ability to navigate in a rapidly changing world. And a strong majority of Americans from our Harris poll believe that conscious leaders, which is really the focus of our book, and we define conscious as those people who are aware of themselves, their relationships, and their environment. And these leaders said that they that being conscious improves organizations in terms of engagement and performance, yet only half of those surveyed think that C-level executives and leaders actually exhibit truly conscious behaviors. So we then focus in our book on what are the practices of becoming more conscious, and we identified four key practices being one, going deep, which is about really building awareness of yourself and how you show up and discovering your inner self. The second one is about thinking big. And this is about looking over the horizon, looking into the future and seeing a world of possibilities. The third is about getting real. And this is about being your own change agent and also being honest and intentional about how you're showing up and your impact on others. And the final one is about stepping up. And this is about empowering yourself to act boldly and responsibly. So a, a lot of us can focus a lot of time on blaming those around us for the challenge that we find in society and in our workplaces. And we're saying that stepping up is actually looking at what can you take control of and what can you influence. So together, these these four practices then create the ability to transform ourselves and our organizations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'd love to dig into each of those. But first, I want to talk about the definition a little bit. So so one who is conscious is aware of of themselves, of others, and their environments. Could you maybe give us a, a quick kind of picture of what it looks like when someone, uh, what a manifestation or expression of a person who is acting in a way that is clearly, yeah, not aware of themselves or not aware of others or not aware of their environments. And then the, the, the positive foil to that. So I just get a real clear picture on what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So if we start at the level of self-awareness, so let's just take a really simple example like in a meeting. We all have to attend many meetings and it spends a lot of time out of our days, our day in a meeting. So if you think about someone who was conscious, firstly, they're aware of how they're showing up in that meeting. So how much of the airtime are they taking up? How much time are they spending in inquiry versus advocating their view? And are they actually drawing in others in order to get as diverse perspectives as possible? possible. Are they open in their mindset or are they fixed and, and caught up in their own biases? So that sort of self-awareness, you know, is the first level of being conscious. Oh, and that's striking because I, I think there are definitely times that I think when I'm on it and I sort of am I'm thinking all of these sort of like, I don't know, second layer or extra dimension thoughts, uh, meta of, of what's happening and what I'm doing. And then times when I'm absolutely not, you know, kind of checked out or, or just sort of barely able to convey something worthwhile, you know, from time to time. And so that's, that's nice to, yeah, just to, to note that what level of awareness are you playing at Mm -hmm. in a given meeting? Cause it could probably change hour to hour. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the challenge is that we're operating in such an accelerating business environment that we're all running from one thing to the next that to actually be able to be present and notice how we're showing up is more and more challenging. So that level of awareness is just so important. 
Okay, so so that's what it looks like, awareness of the self, and then with others? Awareness of relationships or others is how aware you are of others' thoughts and feelings. It's also about the ability to change your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors as you interact with others. For example, if you take the example of a meeting again, to what extent are you aware of the signs and signals others are giving and how they are feeling? It's also about noticing their tone of voice, their body language, and what really matters to them. Okay. So the emotions, sort of the subtext, you know, what's what's not said, what are people really thinking and feeling, you know, underneath the surface there. And then how about the environment? Yeah. And so the environment as well. So one of the things that more conscious leaders are focused on is not just in in terms of increasing revenue, but what's the impact on the communities around them. Awareness of the environment involves understanding and adapting to both internal and external forces that impact you, your team, and your business. It's also about understanding the context or challenge you're dealing with. So, for example, if you're in a meeting again, are you bringing a perspective of what's important to your internal and external stakeholders to share at the meeting? If you're meeting with a group of senior executives, are you adapting your communication to meet their needs? For example, providing a big picture strategic perspective and not getting into too many of the details. This is about being aware of your environment and the context in which you are working. Oh, that's Does great. it make sense, Pete? Absolutely. Well, right. so could you maybe give us an example, and, and you don't have to name names specifically, of just because it's funny now that you lay it out, it, it seems like, yes, of course, you know, we should all we should all do this, and that would be necessary for any leader to be effective. Uh, but maybe could you give us a, an example of an organization or a leader who just bombed it in terms of they did some decision making or some communication mm-hmm. that just clearly conveyed they uh, were severely lacking on, on some of these awareness dimensions. Yes, absolutely. One example comes from working with a group of global leaders at PricewaterhouseCoopers. They came together from around the world to participate in a three-month residential leadership program to prepare them to lead global teams. I worked with this one senior leader as part of the program, and he had moved around a lot in his teenage years, and that had left him feeling disconnected from his peers. So his way of relating to others was to outsmart his peers and his clients, which gave him some sense of control and feelings of superiority, but further increased his feelings of loneliness and isolation. One of the things we talk about in Conscious is that it's no longer enough to be the smartest in the room. Pete, the man was clearly smart, but we had to move him in our coaching to have more of a conscious way of thinking and a way of showing up. For example, one of the things that I worked on with him in coaching was to have him move from his scarcity mindset, which is a belief that there's not enough, so there's not enough knowledge or resources or opportunities, to one where he's actually believing in a principle around abundance, which is a belief that there is enough. That led him to share his knowledge, to be more cooperative, and to be more generous in his relationships. The second way um, that I needed to work with him in terms of moving from a smart to a conscious mindset mindset was to challenge his belief that I am what I know. So he his whole identity was caught up, and this is very common, um, was caught up in being the smartest in the room, having the right answer. And so if I challenge, if someone challenged him, they're challenging him as a person. And so what we needed to work on was that he was who he was, warts and all, and that all of us have strengths and weaknesses. And when we become more conscious, we are more comfortable in our own skin and we share more of our whole self. So we we feel more comfortable being vulnerable with others. And then finally, 
we worked on his mindset, which is also a smart paradigm rather than a conscious paradigm, which is I can only rely on myself to survive. In other words, I have to have all the answers myself rather than engaging others to help to help me with tasks or to, to give me some more ideas. And we had to shift that thinking in order for him to actually understand that we're only as effective as those around us. And we actually learn a lot from those around us and our environment. And so this then moved him to focusing on more behavior around asking others for ideas and learning from others. And the outcome eventually was that his peers provided him feedback that he became much more of a team player and that his clients gave him positive feedback that they shared a new desire to continue doing business with him because interestingly he was brilliant but no one wanted to work with him because they came away feeling stupid as a result of um, his need to be the smartest in the room. Yeah, I've seen that, I've felt that mm-hmm. and I, I remember what, one of the kindest things anyone ever said to me was in a sort of a, a farewell uh, work event was that uh, I never made them feel dumb. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really sweet. It's like, oh, thank Absolutely. you so much. Because I yeah. know how that feels. It sucks. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so awesome. And now I'm intrigued about that identity point, though. I mean, so he said, all right, before the identity was, I am what I know. And then that shifted to something. And so is there, was there a new identity statement or, or what's the new identity then? Yeah. So the new identity is, I am okay who I am or as I am. Right. So it's acknowledging that all of us have strengths and all of us have areas for development. And actually, when we're vulnerable and when we show some of that and when we ask for help, it actually builds trust. So rather than seeing vulnerability as a weakness, actually starting to see it as a strength. Absolutely. Now, now that I am okay as I am can for some be a, a lifelong journey to to arrive at such a place. Absolutely. So as, a, as a coach, what, what are your pro tips for fast tracking that one. And I have to say that particular mindset shift is not one that happens necessarily overnight. Yeah. So it's one, it's starting to be kind to ourselves. So it's, it's simple little things to start with. So asking for help, right? Sharing where in, in a safe way, I normally get people to experiment in a safe way to start. So um, sharing, you know, something that they may need some support with. So something, whether it's even just help with a spreadsheet. So something that feels safe enough and just opening up a little bit about themselves, um, which is that, you know, being a little more personal, which can be vulnerable for people. And just with those small steps over time, that mindset can start to shift and they can actually see that their relationships start to improve. Oh, that, that is good. And I'm thinking about even maybe a, a more of a baby step is, is I, I have, I have confessed my need for help to, you know, the Amazon Prime Now delivery person or the Instacart (laughs) (laughs) grocery shoppers. Like, I don't know you and I need help with this because sometimes life is out of control. So thank you so much for what you've done here. So very cool. All right. So thank you. Well, that that was just background. So now (laughs) we got four practices associated with being conscious. Mm -hmm. You know, could you give us maybe sort of kind of a 
best practice prescription in terms of, hey, if you want to do one thing when it comes to going deep and discovering your 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 inner self stuff, what would that be? Can we do that for each of the four? Sure, absolutely. I'd love to. So going deep is is about discovering your inner self. And this is really just about learning who you are, where you come from, and why you act the way you do. And there's a particular skill that we, we refer to. It's got an interesting name. We call it wrestling your inner reptile. So mm-hmm. in other words, it's about understanding how your mind works and how we get hijacked by our survival instincts. Now, I'm just going to just spend just a, a, a couple of minutes talking about the neuroscience of the brain just because it sort of helps understand this particular practice. And I'll just try and keep it really simple here. But there, we have three brains and, and all of those have developed at different times and they have different responsibilities. So firstly, we have what we call the reptilian or primitive brain. And this is really just focused on survival. Secondly, we have the emotional or feeling brain. And this is where aspects of memory reside and also our impulsive actions begin. And thirdly, and really important in terms of our creative thinking and our decision-making, we have the executive or thinking brain. Now, the problem is that our Stone Age survival instincts are not our friend in our current accelerating disruptive business world. What they do is they keep us stuck in negative emotions and they often slow us down in, in our business tasks as well as our life. So what happens is that our brains are constantly scanning for threats. So the amygdala part of our emotional brain uses the five senses as well as some of our internal signals of threat, like our elevated heart rate or shortness of breath. And then when it perceives a threat, it takes only 80 milliseconds for an automatic threat avoidance impulse to kick in. And this actually happens at an unconscious level. So the signal telling us about our action, so that is how we actually show up, doesn't reach our thinking brain until 240 milliseconds. Now, at the same time, what happens is that one or more avoidance emotions like fear and anger and shame are triggered and that effectively takes our thinking brain, the part of our brain we need to be at our best offline. So, We're all wired for survival and prone to these reflex-like responses, and it takes the smallest of signals for us to perceive a threat. So I think, Pete, we've all been there. We're in a sales meeting. We know our numbers are not where they need to be, and your boss is frowning, and instantaneously you notice your defensive reaction. Your tone becomes defensive. Your body language becomes defensive, right? So going back to your question around, well, what can we do about this? One area of awareness that's particularly important to help us learn to, let's just put it, wrestle our inner reptile, right, that unconscious part of our brain that can trigger us is to recognize what we call early warning signs our body gives us. And we refer to these as somatic responses. So have you ever been in a meeting where someone says or does something like frowns at you because they think that your sales numbers that you're about to report are not good enough or says something that you feel disrespects you and then you get a, a either a flushing feeling or that feeling in the pit of your stomach or a tightness in your chest? Now, Given the reptilian brain's unconscious and our own, our emotional brain's only partially conscious, by recognizing what we're experiencing in our body, that is vital information to then course correct our behavior. So, for example, when you notice that feeling in your stomach, what you need to do is, is take a few deep breaths and slow down the reaction from your emotional brain, and that buys you some time to allow your executive or thinking brain to switch back on, and then you can actually be more thoughtful in your response. 
Does that make sense, Pete? Oh, sure thing. Yeah. So then the practice then is just in the moment of you begin to feel some defensive things to do some conscientious breathing there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first step is to, firstly, you need to build aware of what are those people in situations that are likely to trigger you? And then what do you notice somatically? So what do you notice in the body before the behavior even shows up? So before the defensive tone or the defensive body language, what is, and it's, this is really a level of awareness that most people do not have. What do you notice happens in the body? Because that reaction in the body will give you the early warning sign before the action sets in that you can then take a, manage the response. Does that make sense? And then the yes. response can be, as you said, the deep breathing and knowing that our thinking brain, if we're triggered, is going to take a little while to, to switch on. So for some people, it's pausing because their reactive response is to sort of snap at someone or have that short tone. For others, they disengage, right, or they freeze. And so you need to build awareness of how you react and then notice the somatic reaction and then plan a different response in order to manage them. Okay. Well, yeah, this is this is really good. Well, could you share some observations uh, in the body, that sort of common defensiveness, things that pop up? I mean, it's like, oh, my heart rate is suddenly going faster or I, I feel a, a descending wave of heat from my head to my toes, (laughs) or I am getting a little twitchy in the elbows, or what are some other examples that come up again and again? One is, interestingly, when some people are stressed, they actually clench their fist. And so by simply noticing that your fist is clenched and then relaxing it can actually shift your whole emotional response. And then that shows up differently in your behavior. So it can be very small tweaks and and awareness building, but that can actually have a huge impact in then the behavior you can then change as a result. That's excellent. And and then what are some of your, your favorite responses that you recommend folks use? So I, I guess there's there's the breathing mm-hmm. and there's the unclenching yes. and, and what else? So the deep breathing, the unclenching. One key one is that you need to buy yourself some time so that you can allow that executive brain to switch back on. So sometimes just if there's a, some water there, just take a glass of water and have a drink of water and that's just buying yourself time and at the same time ground your feet because we physically ground when we ground the body physically it can actually reground our emotions because we've got to remember that our emotional brain is being hijacked right now um no kidding so there's science behind this yeah absolutely you know i did that i just did that i remember i just did that during my uh, interviews when i was a candidate trying to get my first jobs and i have no idea why but somehow (laughs) when i started freaking out that just made me feel better. Yeah. And you're saying, and I thought that was just a weird thing I did, but you're yeah. telling me no, this is go. deep in our humanity. Yeah, you're just, your so intuitive response works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so put both feet firmly on the floor. Yeah. That does stuff for not just me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So the, definitely the deep breathing, the, the grounding the feet and buying yourself some time, whether it's just ask another question so you can listen right? Rather than having to present your point of view right then and there, because your thinking brain is not going to be at, at its best, taking a moment to have a drink of water. And if you really, really feel triggered and you're you know, concerned about how that may show up, you may need to just ask to, to leave the room for a moment and then come back when you're more present. Now, that's not the most ideal response, but if it's going to be better than sort of having a short tone or, or sounding very re- defensive, then it's a, a better outcome. We talk about reptiles and uh, angry reactions 
in my mind's eye, I, this is this is so dorky, but I just keep seeing this scene from a Star Trek: The Next Generation, maybe a movie, <laughs> maybe a, a TV episode, not sure. Mm-hmm. But Worf says, "I don't know who cares about this." But Trekkies in the audience, here we go. When, when Worf screams at the captain, "If you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand." <laughs> And, and so that's what I think about it in terms of, of the intensity. But yeah. you know, I think we probably are maybe thinking, shall we say, attacking like thoughts, perhaps, you mm-hmm. know, in, in response to these things, maybe thoughts we'd never want to say aloud. Yes, yes, very true. Very yeah. true. Yeah. And remembering that not everyone reacts that way. Some people disengage, but that's also that also can be not effective in our um, the way we're showing up and, you know, it looks like we're not contributing to the discussion. So for some people, it's how do you get back in the game when you get triggered? Um, so how do you get grounded again and then actually be able to contribute again in the conversation? Yeah. Emma Kate, what, what I love about this is that th- this awareness stuff is, is so much more than a uh surface level oh know yourself and your strengths and your weaknesses like like this is really in the moment and what that looks and sounds and feels like from a a very personal and and physical perspective and that's um that's a whole other level than I'm good at details, which which I love. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes just asking our peers, someone that we trust to give us feedback around how do we show up non-verbally when we've been seen to be a little bit defensive? What does that look like? Um, and normally people, I mean, that's really showing vulnerability again, right, which builds trust. So most people are, are very happy to share any observations they might have of you. And we all have them, right? <laughs> and all, mm-hmm. We're all human, which is part of being conscious is to acknowledge that we're all human. And sometimes, you know, even if we're practicing these conscious practices, we're going to have an off day and that's okay as well. That's fun. Well, I wanted to talk a bit likewise about think big, get real, step up, but uh, we had so much fun with uh, with go deep. We went deep <laughs> on going deep. <laughs> we did. So thank you. Is there maybe one or kind of quick tip that you might share or key thing you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? We have at the end of each chapter, we have some um, very practical tips for each of these practices. Um, So that would be one way of starting to learn sort of how to apply it in a very practical way. So that would probably be sort of if people want to learn more, that's probably where I direct them. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I would indeed. I'd love to. So, um, my, one of my favorite quotes is by John Wooden, and he's uh, from the Hall of Fame basketball. Um, he was a coach uh, from the Hall of Fame. And his quote is, it is what you learn after you know it all that counts. And I think for me, that really sums up that distinction between conscious and smart. And, and being conscious is about being a lifelong learner and staying curious and open. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Sure. So research that was cited by O'Brien and and Shook in 2010 is very relevant to uh, what we talk about within conscious, and that is that 83% of our brain is unconscious and 17% is conscious. However, of that 83% that's unconscious, it controls the majority, which is 95 to 90% percent of our perceptions and actions. So in other words, most of our day we are operating on autopilot. And from a conscious perspective, if you can imagine the possibilities, if we could tap into more of that unconscious part of the brain and become more intentional about our actions, behaviors, what the impact would be in our teams, in our organizations and in our communities. Oh, great. Thank you. 
And how about a favorite book? My favorite book is um, Leadership in the Art of Conversation by Kim H. Crisco. And if you think about it, one of our most powerful tools in getting things done through others is our communication tools. And this book really provides a number of key practical tools for doing this very well. Oh, thank you. And how about uh, a favorite tool, something you use that helps you be awesome at your job? So I um, practice and teach yoga sculpt at Core Power Yoga, and that's a combination of yoga cardio and weights in a 92-degree heated room. And for me... It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but it energizes my body. It helps me get very present and helps me get really uh, focused. So that's something that I, I practice every day. Mm-hmm. And, and how about a favorite habit? Um, well, that would be my habit. I would say, and sorry, your other question was a favorite tool. Oh, there's a tool, yeah. So a, a favorite tool of mine, and this is one I use a lot in coaching or introduce people to, is called the Heart Math. M-A-T-H technique. And there's actually software you can purchase online. It's about, I think, 250, uh, sorry, 150 to about $200. And what it does is it looks at your heart coherence and you can actually see it starts to graph it on the screen. And so by using this breathing technique and actually being able to see the data on the screen, when you have high heart coherence, you're able to better manage your emotions and you're also able to be more creative in your thinking. And so it's a technique that really helps people get conscious or it's really a conscious practice but also sometimes people need the science or the data and that heart math technique um, also allows you to see that on your computer screen and what exactly is heart coherence so heart coherence is the distance between heartbeats and and i'm sort of not a scientific expert in this so what my understanding is that when you have high coherence, that's when you have those positive relationships with performance outcomes. So what the software does is just show you, it actually has a graph, uh, green, blue, and red, and it shows you when you start to move from low to high coherence, and it can actually happen as quickly as five minutes time. Um, And there is actually a lot of science and a lot written behind it, researched about it that people can read up on. But that's, yeah, that's what the technique is about. Fascinating. Okay. You know, I, I've heard of the Heart Math Institute, but long ago, but I didn't know exactly what was under the surface. So, so thank you. That's intriguing. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And how about a particular nugget, something you share that really connects and resonates and, and gets quoted back to you? Probably as simple as conscious is a new smart. And that really sort of comes down to that, that paradigm shift that I talked about earlier. And I think that if people could actually make that shift, it would make our, our teams and our organizations really much more creative and, and much more engaging places to work. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Absolutely. It's uh, healthycompanies.com, so our website. Or um, I'm very happy for people to email me at ek.swan, S-W-A-N-N, at healthycompanies.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn or Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Absolutely. So um, we say that teams, organizations, and communities become more conscious one person at a time. So my challenge to you is to start with yourself. One thing you can do is take our short self-assessment to see how conscious you are. Um, It's just a small number of questions on our website and it's free if you go to our conscious book page and click on the assessment there. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, Emma Kate, thank you. This was a ton of fun and I wish you lots of luck with conscious and and all you're doing. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you so much, Pete. Well, you could probably hear it in my voice. I got a real kick out of how Emma Kate had real research that backed up something I had just discovered back in the day when I was interviewing for consulting firms and very nervous as I would plant my feet firmly on the floor 
and that kind of just made me feel grounded and solid and kind of refocused and kind of less freaked out that I was screwing something up and, and a little bit better able to respond with my intelligent brain and, and address what was in front of me there. So pretty cool. I recommend you try out those and her other pro tips when you're starting to freak out and not at your brightest as a result of it. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F352. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. If you do, you're in for a special treat with our next episode. We got Liz Cooper, who is the founder of the British Academy of Sound Therapy. And she's talking about what sort of elements in music make you feel different ways and and thusly how we can choose appropriate music when you're playing it at work in order to to bring about some excitement energy enthusiasm or to to calm things down and, and get into a more of a mellow state so helpful stuff there hope to catch you there and peace Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.